um, as family, we're going to partake together and we eat together. Another thing that we do is uh, we have moments where it's good for us as a family to just come together and to have a heart to heart to talk about what's going on in the life of the family. And uh, I thought it'd be a good Sunday for us to do that. There's just a lot happening. Um, during this time of year, I want to make sure that we're aware of all of the different things. So before we jump into our sermon for today, a couple of things I want you to be reminded of. Um, the first one is Men's Encounter is coming up in January, late January, and so sign up. Um, it's kind of important that we get a good idea of how many uh, men are going. And so uh, I remember when I found out a little while ago, actually it was last year's uh, January encounter that I went to, and I was just in the lobby talking to somebody because I thought they came around like every other month or something. I wasn't paying attention, I guess. And I said to somebody, so when's the next one? Thinking it might be like February or March. And they said September. And I thought, okay, well, then I'm, I need to go to January because I didn't want to miss the opportunity. And it really was an amazing time and uh, just an opportunity for me to connect with God and and my brothers in Christ and uh, to take a look at what Christ had done for me. I love in the brochure where, um, I think Scott wrote this, I love this. It says, do you need encounter? Actually, you don't, you need Jesus. It's a good reminder. You really don't need encounter, you need Jesus. Um, Everything else is just a a tool used by God to find Jesus. Um, This is an amazing tool. I want to challenge you men um, that if you've not thought about signing up for Encounter, that you would do exactly that. Let me reach into my magic pocket and see if there's, there is more. Um, Tonight is our jingle jam. And so we have something known as the family experience. And that is an opportunity um, that we come together as families to do what we do best, which is really worship God. And so, as you have probably heard us talk about, and I hope I never get tired of talking about this, um, I haven't yet, it is the concept of orange, that the church and the family come together. The church, yellow, light, the family, red, blood, come together, and yellow and red make orange, the true orange power. Orange power, the true orange power, um, is the church and the family coming together. This is how God ordained it. God didn't make churches to do the family's job. And God didn't make families to just do the church's job. Really, it it comes together. I love thinking about the church as the family of God. And so this is a great opportunity for us to come together um, with our kids and to worship. And and Zane, our new children's pastor, who um, is doing a great job so far, um, you know, we're we're still praying for him, but I just, we love him so much. And he is, where are you, Zane? Are you in here? Kind of hearing me? Yeah, there you are. <laughs> love your wife more than you. Um, this is, uh, don't we love Beth? I mean, Beth is awesome, okay? Uh, here's what I want to say to you. Gotta, gotta stay on track, stay on track. Um, Jingle Jam is tonight and would love for you to come and love for you to invite somebody and we would love for you to bring a ticket. And the reason why is it really just helps us to stay in connection with you and kids love tickets. And so that really is the idea. And I've got a whole stack of them that I'm gonna leave right here for those families that do not have one. Um, You can grab one there after the service so that you can have one and we will see you at six o'clock in the gym to worship together as a family. One last family item. Please grab your bulletin. And open it up to the middle part and take a look at the giving section. Um, I've got a really good friend who loves to challenge me. And part of it, he just loves to challenge people. And the other part of it is he just is really looking at what God has been doing in his own life. And uh, he knows I need to grow in mine too. And the one thing he will tell me on a regular basis is is that we could talk more 
here at the church about giving. As you know, if I were to just tell you the big picture about the churches and giving, a lot of churches are afraid to talk about it, actually. Um, they hear things like, man, the church always talks about giving. And if you have been at this church and that's what you think, I don't think you've been here very often. We, we probably, uh, I can't qualify this. We err, I don't want to say probably. I err on the side of talking less about it than I should. Okay? And um, the reason why, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm not afraid to talk about it. It's not a, it has nothing to do with fear. It has nothing to do with, I don't want to talk about money. Um, uh, Jesus is like the first three things I love to talk about. And so I gravitate more towards that. Jesus talked a lot about our hearts and about how money affects that and how those things kind of interact. And so it is good for us occasionally to talk about it. And so the, I, I have actually good news and good news about this giving section um, which do you want first? I'll give you the good news first. I promise you I don't believe that Sunnybrook in any way, shape, or form started 12 years ago. It's just my frame of reference, okay? And I, I just don't know how many years before that, but every year um, that, that I have been here and been a blessed, Andrew and I, blessed part of being part of this family, we've always made budget, Okay? That's pretty awesome that we've always done that. I remember in 2008, we were worried about it. And in 2009, we were thinking, I wonder if it's going to happen. And, um, and this year, it's really, really tight. Now, by the way, our giving is about right exactly where it was last year. And so one of the reasons why um, I think it's important for us to talk about it is that after years and years and years of very careful stewardship of God's money and God's resources, as well as an eldership that really cares, not about money, but about the gospel of Jesus Christ and about the right stewardship. And sometimes we can use the word stewardship in kind of a selfish way so that we can kind of keep our stuff. We need to have good stewardship. We kind of mean responsibility, which means we kind of get to keep things and kind of play it tight. That's really not what stewardship is. Stewardship is like our resources. And I'll, I'll tell you a, a good godly use of our resources for the kingdom. And because we have been so good for a number of years, more than 12 and because even this year, the eldership and the staff have looked at this, like there isn't like a budget crisis. So you can look at that and go, wow, we're behind. Is that a bad thing? Actually, it's not. So I've got no warnings to give you. I've got no, oh my goodness, you guys better give because if not, the lights aren't gonna go on. No, everything is great. We, we, I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying we have tons of money. We really don't. And all of our finances are actually open to you to look at. And you wanna know Why? because we want the gospel to be the first and foremost, the last, the foundation, and we don't want anything to cloud it, right? We don't want anything to get in the way. And so the good news is, even when you look at this, we're, we're fine, we're in good shape. Um, I, I do want to challenge you that as you think about how this year ends, and we believe in a generosity that extends beyond just this. We don't just say, you need to give to the church, you need to give to Sunnybrook. No, we actually believe in a generosity where we look at everything that God has given us and we give it everywhere, okay? Um, I'll remind you that there is an opportunity in the lobby. First service, I mentioned this, okay? For the angel tree, um, if you have a 20 on you, okay, and I'll, I'm just gonna, uh, I kind of like competition. First service knocked it out of the park. If you have a 20 um, one of the things that can actually be done, there's a lot of these angel tree needs, which are children of incarcerated parents. 
And there's a lot of needs that extend beyond just the, the, the gifts that we could give. And so what we've been doing is um, we've been collecting $20 Walmart gift cards for people. And uh, we've been giving them that. But today is the last day. So to save you from right after church, driving to Walmart and coming back, if you just head back there, um, and Jody or Jennifer will be back there, and if you could just give them a 20, that would make a difference in a child's life. And after first service, I don't know how many we got, but Jennifer said, wow, we've almost got enough. And I believe that we can have enough here. We, we believe in that kind of generosity. It's not about church. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians, and I love this reminder, I don't ask to you for you to give for like my sake, but that you might give and that God may reward you is what he says. That's why my wife and I give to Sunnybrook and to other kingdom oriented things is not just to pay the bills, but to be a reflection of what God has done. And I want you to be aware of kind of where things are at. I would love for us to start 2017 as strong as we can, but here's what I believe. And I hope you take this in the right way. I don't believe in us. I don't. I never have. <laughs> I don't believe in us. I believe in God in us. Do you see the difference? Like I'm, I really don't. I don't believe in us. And if I did just believe in us, there's really um, so many areas and in so many ways that we can fail. Whenever we talk about the generosity of Sunnybrook, whenever we talk about us rising up and giving and being generous, I hope that it always comes as the overflow or the kind of that looming shadow of God's amazing grace. That's how we talk about giving. That's why we are not afraid to talk about it. My, my pastor growing up used to always say, I will never be ashamed or afraid to ask God's people to give to God's work. And neither will I. And so I really do want to challenge you to give this Christmas. And I don't really care where. I hope that Sunnybrook is one of those ways that you look at our ministry and our missions and our work. When you look at the work that we do with our families and in this community. When you look at all of the multitude of ways in terms of what, what the work that God is doing. That you out of an overflow of gratitude of God's gift to us in Christ, that that is the reason why we give, not numbers on a sheet. Amen? Let us give to the kingdom boldly and faithfully. And I'll try to do a better job talking about it in godly terms and in appropriate ways. And if I ever don't, I promise you, I got elders who will hold me accountable. I got an amazing staff that will hold me accountable. Um, but the kingdom is worth us sacrificing all for. Now, if you have your Bibles, let's have some fun and talk about this crazy thing called Christmas. We are in John's Gospel, which is strange. As you probably know, there are two Gospels that describe the story of the birth um, and the time around the birth of Christ, okay? Two Gospels describe it. If we were to go back and look at the stories of Christmas, you would find angels, and you would find magi and shepherds, uh, you would find the Virgin Mary, you would find Joseph trying to figure out what to do with his wife, who is now pregnant and they're not married yet. I mean, you have all of those narratives, actually, shepherds in a field, you have all of those narratives in Matthew and in Luke. And John and Mark, well, I can't say they don't say anything, but they don't describe it in normal Christmas terms. 
And so what we thought we would do for these three weeks before we have an opportunity to literally celebrate on Christmas Day together, and we've actually got a special time. Um, we're actually asking if you wouldn't mind to kind of sign up uh, for our Christmas time service because we're going to do breakfast together. We're going to be doing it in the gym. It's going to be a special time of coming together. And so we're looking forward to that. That Sunday will be actually in the Gospel of Luke. But this week we're going to be looking at John's words, and next week we're going to be looking at Mark's words. Two gospel writers who don't use traditional imagery, but are still here to talk about Christmas. And one of the reasons why we think it's important is that I I know that Christmas is going to come and you're too busy, and I know that Christmas is going to come and and you're going to get kind of wrapped up in all of the regular stuff. It is good for us to stop and to reflect on what Christmas is all about. And John is going to help us today. Uh, My concern, the Bible's concern, actually, is that um, we would get sucked in to Christmas. Have you felt the vortex of commercialism, right? It's a little, probably a little after Valentine's Day when the Christmas lights go up at Walmart, right? Uh, Everybody starts planning for Christmas and you're like, wow, I can't believe this is happening so early, And we get wrapped up in the commercialism. If I were to ask you, what is the most commonly asked question at Christmas? It's not, who is that babe lying in a manger? You know what it is? What do you want for Christmas? I ask my children who grew up in a pastor's house, okay? What do you guys want for Christmas? And what I don't get is, Dad, what I would like is a greater understanding of the union of the divine with the human. No, my youngest son wants an Apple Watch. I I asked them, what would you like for Christmas? You know what? The glad tidings of which the shepherds learned from the angels. I am just praying that the entire world, I don't get that. You know what I'd like? (laughs) New pair of shoes, right? I mean, these are these great gifts that we have. And and truly, I, I don't know if it's bad. Hear me. There's got to be more. Think about it. How much, when it comes to Christmas, do we get stuck in the, hey, what do you want? What are we going to do? What are we going to do for Christmas? What are we going to do? Forget what God has done. What are we going to do this Christmas? What are your plans for Christmas? What are you going to do this Christmas? And we don't really talk about it in spiritual terms. I think that's why it's so weird for us to talk about it now. Seems, um, seems like it's going to be one entire Sunday of Sunday school answers, you know? Getting sucked in. Um, there, that, that's the world's view of it, commercialized. Kind of gets us buying things. And there, there's a Christianized version of that, though. Um, I, I just I remember when it was like, yeah, we can't get sucked into that. We really need to remember the true meaning of Christmas. And the true meaning of Christmas is family. And families get to come together and moms and dads get to slow down and to, to recognize just how important this time together is for us to just hold hands and to reflect on just how important this time is as a family. It's like a Christian version, it is. That's really not what Christmas is about. Christmas isn't about mommies and daddies coming together and loving their kids and being grateful. That's really not what it is about. And so we really can get sucked in. Hear me, all of those things, buying things for one another, it's not bad. 
Enjoying the good gifts that we give to one another, it's not bad. Enjoying family and being together and celebrating this special time, that's not bad. It's all good. It just, it needs to sit under or in the shadow of or out of the overflow of God's amazing gift this Christmas. That's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible teaches is that these things come as good gifts from the greatest gift giver of all. And to show you the greatness of his giving, he sent his son that we might have peace with him. Don't get sucked in. The second thing that the Bible is worried about, I'm I'm telling you, I could literally go to Bible verses that warns us about getting seduced by the world or even seduced by a religious version of God. Not the true version, but a religious version. The second thing is that I hope you don't get spit out. (laughs) I mean, sucked in and then spit out. I've been sucked in. Man, would I absolutely fall in love with, I mean, I loved Christmas as a kid. And I remember watching the kind of the, uh, the light from that time together when mom and dad were here and everybody was here. And then my sister got married and all of a sudden she's not coming home for Christmas and Christmas doesn't feel the same. And I feel like I'm losing my Christmas. You been there? Our kids are with us and it's fun again and they're my kids and then they get old. And they get married and they go away and they worship God with other people at Christmas time and it makes me so frustrated. Makes my wife cry, right? Ruin Christmas by getting married and inviting strangers into our lives, right? I mean, this is, Christmas supposed to be a happy time where we just hold on to each other and hope no one. And we become cynical. Why do you think every like Christmas Eve service has some romanticized story about how somebody, some dad doesn't get it or some mom doesn't get it and and they just become cynics? Ho humbug. That's really not like what Christmas is 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 all about. It's it's not about the commercialized, sucked in. And I hope you haven't just been spit out. I hope you haven't just become a hard version. Um, I've gone through both phases, by the way. I've gone through the seduced, and it's just the greatest time of the year, and I've gone through the, oh, man, Christmas just isn't what it should be, and nobody gets it. And Both of them aren't, aren't godly. I've had to repent of both. And, and what helps us is the gospel. What helps us is like a real depiction of what Christmas is all about. And today what I want to do is celebrate that from John's perspective, to guard our hearts and our minds this Christmas season. The three themes that I want to look at, the first one is the divine connection. Um, The Bible makes it very, very clear that if you were to say, whose idea was Christmas? What mom invented that? What marketing company invented that? What advertising firm? Um, None. It was God's idea. God planned Christmas from the very beginning. There is a divine connection in all of this. And how does John describe this? If you have your Bibles, John, we're just going to be in chapter one. John chapter one, we're going to be looking at the first four verses of this text. John starts the Christmas story by looking at the divine connection in one of the most profound ways that any of the gospel writers describe. Um, Instead of describing a genealogy like Matthew, um, instead of going back and describing kind of the time period that it was in, like in Luke or even John, even, even um, uh, Mark going back and talking about John the Baptist in the very beginning. No, what, what, what John does is he takes us very back to, to all the way back to Genesis. 
John begins his gospel with, in the beginning. Now, when you hear that, you think Genesis. In the beginning, there was nothing but God. In the beginning, there was just God. And he was in the world, and he made the world, and everything was made by him, and he spoke it into existence. That's what Genesis holds on to. Now, here's what we have is the gospel writers, probably Matthew and Mark write their gospel sometime in the mid-50s, first century. Luke writes his, the early part of the 60s. John is now writing his, most likely, 20 years after that. He's the last of the gospel writers. I believe he actually knows what Matthew, Mark, and Luke are recording. And he takes a different approach to it. He goes back, and his entire gospel is wired this way. He wants us to understand the working of God from the beginning. And so he begins in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. That is the Greek word for that is logos. Um, in, the, in the Greek philosophical world, it meant the unifying force of the universe, the logos, that which held everything together. And what John is pointing out is what holds the world together is not an idea, it's not love, it's not some force. No, no, no. In the beginning was the word. And the reason why it's capitalized here is because John is pointing to that word and saying, and I know who he is. In the beginning was the word, and you're going to see quickly that, that it's Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. So it's not that in the beginning there was God and he was all by himself. Actually, what John is pointing out, what, what the Bible reveals is that what began with an understanding of who God is, as we move through time, what we find out is the depth of God. And we find out that God doesn't exist merely as the Father, but he exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. And John draws attention to this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, that is Jesus, the one that we celebrate this Christmas, was in the beginning with God. And what did he do? Uh, it's interesting that Genesis describes God speaking everything into existence. And here's what we find out in verse 3. All things were made through him. That is through Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life. And the life was the light of men. What, what, what John is wanting us to pick up on, what John is wanting us to see is that the divine connection, that the ultimate purpose of all of things finds its rest, finds its foundation, finds its unity in God himself. And what he wants us to see is that the plan about Christmas and the coming of Christmas is this divine connection that you and I are allowed to marvel with. I really thought Ashley hit it well today. Um, so often we want to try to understand this amazing thing that God put on human flesh. This morning, I walked into the office, I'm kind of thinking about my sermon, and in comes Morgan Weiss, okay? Morgan is our, um, our middle school, and uh, or junior high, middle school, and senior high pastor, and she is very focused, and she loves Christmas. And so I'm in the workroom trying to get my stuff, you know, all organized, and Morgan comes in, and she starts talking to me about the incarnation, and, and uh, it was hilarious because she's, Jim, do you know about the incarnation? Do you know about how God put on flesh? And she begins to talk to me about it. And I'm not kidding. She got me all worked up about it. 
Can you believe that? And why is it that we don't understand it? And I, I literally am watching this, this young woman just absolutely mesmerized. I know she loves Christmas. We tease her about what, what aspects of Christmas she loves the most. Today I got to see what she loves the most is just the miracle of the incarnation. And it doesn't matter how many times Morgan or I go, can you believe that God put on flesh? Like, can you believe that God put on flesh? We act like that is just the most normal thing in the world. Like, I had to kind of catch myself. Instead of going, Morgan, we all know about the incarnation. I understand it. I don't understand it. I want you to say a word with me. I love a college professor in me. I want to just, I want to share like a deep, do you want to hear, again, it's not to be intelligent, but I think that sometimes to just show you the depth of this, you won't find this word in every church, okay? I want you to repeat this word after me. It's actually two words. It's an idea. It's called the hypostatic union. Say that, hypostatic union. You know what that is? That's us marveling at how flesh human and divine God come together and the church has wrestled with this and the church has tried to explain it and I think every time we really try to explain it we enter into an area or to a um, a kind of almost a a dangerous place because it can be over explained to the point where you just don't get it it's it's not it's it's not it's not math 100% 100% God and 100% man. It, it's not meant to be defined as much as it, as it, it is meant to be worshipped. That's why when the, when the magi show up or when the shepherds show up, they're not like, okay, Mary, explain to me how this happened. What did they do? They bring gifts and they marvel. They wonder. That's what Christmas is about. You still marvel? Christmas, the God connection. See, what keeps us from getting sucked in or spit out is worship. I love how John describes it. The word became flesh. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Everything was made by him and through him. Without him, nothing was made. It's just describing what is and this, not, not this pretend world, but this real world. And you and I at Christmas have an opportunity to engage the divine that we see in Jesus Christ. Now, Matthew and Luke both love angels stepping in and telling a story. They, they, they come with this amazing announcement about what God has done. One of the reasons why this is so critical, it is because it is It is essential that when we look at the Christian story, we don't see what God is doing at Christmas time um, as like a Hail Mary. A lot of people actually think of like God's version of, of, uh, of saving us through Jesus Christ as kind of like, you know, his last attempt. Like God was losing, and so he decided to throw a Hail Mary. He tried the law thing, and it didn't work. This is not what the Bible teaches, by the way, at all. It's sometimes what lazy preachers lift up, but it's not true. The Bible does not describe God as having one plan and then switching. I mean, it's almost like God is the cosmic Peyton Manning, and he walks up to the line. He's got the play in his head. He walks up to the line. He sees a confusing defense, and he calls an audible. God never calls an audible. He's a plan from the very beginning. 
And the announcement that the angels make, them, them speaking into, them, them speaking truth, is to underline that this has always been God's plan from the very beginning. The divine connection is God's plan. Why does that matter? Because the ultimate question is, where is God in all of this? How many of you are looking for God this Christmas? Wanting a God experience, wanting a God moment, trying to find it in presence and family, but looking for a divine, some kind of experience that will last beyond. See, that's what's scary. Getting sucked in and spit out is when you realize that gifts and family can't satisfy the same way God can. Have you come to that point yet? Only God can satisfy, and that is why we need an angel announcement about God's plan ultimately being fulfilled. This isn't an audible, this isn't a Hail Mary. This has been step one from the very beginning. It is the fulfillment of what God is, what God has been doing, what God is doing. When we look at the redemption ever since the fall, God promised to send his son to us. And the angel announcement as described, I want us to look at verses 14 through 16 of John's gospel for chapter one. Notice how he describes this, the the angel's announcement about Jesus Christ, okay? Emmanuel, God with us, putting on flesh. Look at what he says here. And the word, and that is still Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is a complicated word. Glory to God in the highest. Doxa in the Greek where we get doxology. The, the word in the, in the Hebrew means like his, uh, his magnitude. You know, you, you look at the, at, the, at the bigness of something and you're just overwhelmed by just the enormous. It's really hard to explain. It's the fullness of him. Can you imagine trying to sit in the shadow of the fullness of God? I know what it's like to be at a beautiful spot. I know what it's like to see majestic mountains. I know what it's like to be on a ship in the middle of the ocean, to be in an airplane and look at the the breadth of the horizon and you're just mesmerized by it. It's so big to look out into the sky and to just look at these stars that are so far away and I'm so small. All of those feelings if we were to try to describe it, it's the glory, the bigness of those things. And the angel announcement is that the glory of God has come here. And John says, and the glory of God in Christ dwells. The disciples asked Jesus later on, obviously after his birth, the disciples asked Jesus, show us the Father, show us God. And you know what Jesus says? He doesn't say, go look at a mountain. Look up at the sky. That's God. You know what he says? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. See, that's Christmas. Like, if you have seen Jesus, if you know Jesus, then you know God We see the fullness of him, the goodness of him, the grace of him. Notice how he continues on. We have seen his glory, the glory as of the Son from the Father. And then it says, I like this, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. 
I've been working on something in my own vocabulary. I've got a mouth that really needs to learn to talk more the way the Bible talks. Okay, sometimes I get trapped and I just talk like a normal human. And the Bible is trying to train me to speak more like the way it speaks. Have you ever talked about this? Have you ever talked about like grace and truth and you put them like opposite each other? I know people that do this. Hey, I had students when I would grade papers. Give me some grace. Give me some grace, not truth. I want grace. Are you going to give me truth or are you going to give me grace? I want grace, not truth. Do you have in your mind those two things, grace and truth, being opposites? Most of us do, don't we? You want the truth about you or do you want grace? I want grace. I don't want the truth. What I find fascinating, that's not Jesus. Jesus comes in grace and truth. I really want to challenge you that if you want to speak like the Bible speaks about ourselves or about him, don't make grace the opposite of truth or truth the opposite of grace. It really, the Bible does not describe it that way. Because by the way, without the truth, you don't need grace. Without the truth about us, our brokenness, our sinfulness, our darkness, our desperateness of God, we need you, we need you. Without that truth, what's the point of grace? And what if God's love and his mercy and his forgiveness and him putting on flesh? What if Christmas, the incarnation of God, is the embodiment, the incarnation? What if grace is God's incarnation of truth? See, what we really get at Christmas when Jesus comes full of not grace, not truth, but grace and truth is that Jesus enters in this Christmas time and instead of singing some crazy song about you better watch out, Jesus exposes the truth about who we are and in the midst of that offers grace and forgiveness and healing and restoration. I really think the idea of grace, not truth, comes from the pits of hell. Because Jesus comes full of grace and truth. That's why you gotta put on your big girl pants or your big boy pants for Christmas. That's why it's not just for kids, it's for all of us. Do you want to hear the truth about who you are? Do you want to hear the truth about who we are? Do you want to hear the truth about who God is? It is found in Christ and in Christ alone, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, he was, this was he whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we all have received grace Upon grace. I could have added upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. The angel's announcement was that God's great gift has come. And John makes it very, very clear that only happens in Jesus. Now the last thing that I want us to reflect on to just prepare our hearts and our minds for this Christmas revolves around what's going on in the, the gospel narratives. Um, 
or ordinarily, when we think about Christmas and we think about kids and we think about it making it cute and cuddly and kind of kind, we've got this, this um, hallmarked version of it. I mean, we, we want happy thoughts about Christmas. I still remember a number of years ago when we were sharing our ideas about Christmas. And so in our Christmas Eve service, we told the whole story of Jesus from his birth to his death. And, and there were a number of people, and I understood it. They just said, listen, I just want one day where I don't have to think about him dying. Me too. Me too. I wish it was one day I just didn't have to. You could just stay a baby forever, right? Like your kids. Don't you wish they could just stay babies forever? But with the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what none of them allow is for us to have a merely romanticized version of Christmas. Because Jesus comes full of grace and truth. What we actually see is not just the divine connection. And we don't just see this kind of angel announcement, but what we actually get is the world's resistance. Why is it so hard? Why is Christmas so hard? Well, for some people it's hard because this is the first Christmas um, that I have one at my mom's house and one at my dad's house. We used to be a family. This is the first Christmas, one there, one there. It's hard. You know why Christmas is hard? It's because last Christmas mom was here. Remember when mom was here? Remember last Christmas? Remember five Christmases ago? Before, right? And, and, and these moments are so filled with nostalgia, and that's, actually, that's good. God made us to, to receive these times, but it just makes it hard when there's loss. It just reminds us we live in a fallen world. And I love that the Bible speaks truth into that. It doesn't say, oh, what are we going to do? And it doesn't say, let's just pretend. Let's just pretend that everything is fine. No, it says, listen, hope has come. Hope has come. And we have hope and that God is involved, but he's not involved in some make-believe world. I love the fact that the Bible comes to us and it says your pain is real and the brokenness is real and God is the redeemer of that brokenness and God is the restorer of that brokenness. That's who he is. We see that in Jesus. Here's how he writes it in verse nine. Some of my favorite words in John's entire gospel are verses nine through 13 and I know that you might not see them as Christmas verses. Um, Matthew talks about the wise men coming in Herod Killing all the babies that were born. That's rough. You don't tell that part of the story at Christmas time, do we? I mean, it's, it's hard enough for us to believe that, wow, um, we, we, we have this, 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 this woman who is pregnant and they're on the donkey and they went all the way to Bethlehem and they didn't have room in the inn. I mean, that's hard enough for us to stomach. And Mary had to give birth where? That's just, that is just not appropriate. And John describes it like this in verse nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. I think that's really why um, so much of the world will settle for commercialized and romanticized and cynical versions of Christmas. Christmas. 
because it doesn't know him. Verse 11, one of the most interesting verses in John's gospel. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. They couldn't fathom the incarnation. They couldn't fathom the divine connection. They could not hear the angel's announcement. This, this verse has meant more to me. Um, over the last few years, I've just been blessed to spend more time with um, some people of the Muslim and Jewish faith. And what they keep coming back to, what they keep getting stuck on, is the simple fact that God put on human flesh. My, my friend Ori, who lives in the, kind of the surrounding area of Jerusalem, he just cannot get over the fact that why would God send the Messiah to his people and then allow his people to reject him? That makes no sense to me. Why would God send the Messiah and then have him be rejected? And I love to point out, he wasn't rejected by all the Jews. Christmas happens for some. True Christmas happens for some. Notice how he continues on about what is really going on. It does say that he came to his own, his own people, and they did not receive him. But look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, what does that mean? Who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. God became a child so that we could become his children. That's the truth about God's grace. It says these, these people who believed in him who were born, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. But of God. And that's what Christmas is all about. For as much as you and I try to manufacture ideas and feelings about Christmas, they cannot be manufactured. What you and I have the blessed opportunity to partake in is this divine connection through an angel's announcement that much of the world is still going to resist, but not everyone. I, I, wish, I wish for all of us that we could stop and to reflect and to receive the truth this Christmas. I just know that there are still those of us here in this room who are willing to be sucked in or spit out for another year. There are those in this room that still look at Christmas and it is more of, a, of an idea, it is more of a, of, a, of, a, of a message of hope instead of a message of hope in Jesus Christ and in him alone. But that's not really the Christmas story that the Bible gives us. The Christmas story that the Bible gives us is absolutely full of grace and truth for those who want to hear it. And so what I would like to do in our final moments, Steve is gonna come up and he's gonna play a little bit on the guitar. Uh, we're gonna spend some time reflecting on what God has done for us in Jesus. It can just be kind of an easy thing for us to, to go through the motions, even here at church. 
And I, I do think it is appropriate. I know we don't have to do this every Sunday, but it is appropriate for us to just stop. Kind of like Morgan caused me to do this morning, to just stop. And not just talk about the incarnation, but just to reflect on it. Not just to talk about it, not just to say Merry Christmas, but to think on just how good we have it. Because God has entered into the world through Jesus. So reflect on the fullness of him. For the next few moments. Before the busyness of this week and of this season overtakes us. We love you guys. We'll see you tonight at Jingle Jam. Don't forget your tickets.